Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, the House gets back to work. What took this government so long to act? Coming up on the program, Jagmeet Singh. We will speak to the NDP leader about his party's priorities and the pressure he's feeling from Conservatives and the governing Liberals. This is not a time for shell games. This is a time for real solutions. Meanwhile, the government introduces its new policies to help struggling Canadians. But where is the Prime Minister? And the Crown and Canada, with a majority of Canadians wanting a referendum on the road ahead, is there a future for this country in the Commonwealth? Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. After three months away from the House of Commons, parliamentarians are back at work today. And as Canadians deal with the higher cost of living, perhaps it should come as no surprise that affordability is issue number one. Take a listen to what we heard in the House today, beginning with the new Conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, and ending with the NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh. The average family could pay their housing bill with 32% of their paycheck every month. Now that's 50% after seven years of this Prime Minister in power. What's his solution? To raise taxes on paychecks with higher EI and CPP premiums that will shrink paychecks and higher taxes on gas, groceries and heat. Why won't they cancel these tax hikes so that Canadians can keep a roof over their heads? Let's talk about real solutions, Mr. Speaker. We've brought in 13 agreements on childcare across the country. By the end of this year, families will be saving 50%. That's thousands of dollars that are going to help them with the high cost of living. That's real solutions, Mr. Speaker, that are making real differences in the lives of Canadians every single day. Thank you, Mr. So you got to say nothing and do nothing, and new Democrats who force this government to put more money in your pockets. And Jagmeet Singh joins us right now. Mr. Singh, thank you for being with us tonight. My pleasure. Now, you began this day uh, with criticism for the government, uh, a government that you say the NDP has had to force into action. But, you know, it's also a government that your party is propping up. Is there still, and I, I appreciate this is not the first time you're being asked this question, but is there still not a philosophical disconnect to keep a government in power that you also criticize for not caring enough? Well, our criticism is what's getting results. Because we are forcing this government to act, people are getting the respect that they need. And one concrete example is the GST rebate. We had called for this as early as the spring. The Liberal government didn't act. After months and months of pressure, now we're seeing that legislation in the House tabled today. So that is, that is example, a proof that we have forced this government to get people help. Okay, and that's your argument. I, I get that. I wonder, though, given that the NDP's supply and confidence agreement with the Trudeau Liberals is meant to last until 2025, do you see that happening? What other markers do you need to see in this year, for example, in order to keep that agreement alive? Well, the, 
the, what we force this government to do is all written out, so we've got clear markers that need to be hit. This year, it was to make sure we, we got dental care off the ground for kids under 12, and to help, uh, to give some respect to families that are, that are having some tough times with the rent. Those two things are now in legislation before the House, and so those will be met. The next phase is gonna be uh, a federal delivered program for dental care, so that seniors, people living with disabilities, and kids 18 and under, can look after their teeth, so that's going to be another marker. And we're going to keep on pushing to make sure that people get respect, whether it's dental care or some relief from inflation or putting more money back in their pockets. Well, that's interesting because, as you know, New Democrats often criticize Liberals for eating their lunch, getting the credit at the polls. Are you worried that by giving out these markers, you're essentially giving policy for the government on which they can campaign on come the next election? We can show, for example, for dental care, that Liberals voted against this just a year ago. Last, last session, they voted against dental care with the Conservatives, and now the Conservatives are continuing to be opposed to people getting their teeth looked after, even though their leader has had dental care for free, paid by the public since his 20s. He's against people getting that. And the Liberals were opposed to it until we forced them to do it. So we can show really clearly that this isn't a matter of something that they were going to get around to. This is something the Liberals had said they were not going to do, they're opposed to, they voted against, and now we forced them to do it. Okay, let's pick up on Pierre Polyev, though, because you, you mentioned the new Conservative leader, and we have seen since the leadership uh, unveiled, certainly, uh, Polyev trying to appeal to working class voters, tying you to the governing Liberals, and talking about the high price of everything these days. And to that, Mr. Singh, take a listen to what we heard from Pierre Polyev uh, earlier uh, in the past month. Most are lucky to be just getting by. Many are falling behind. And there are people in this country who are just hanging on by a thread. They need a prime minister who hears them and offers them hope that they can again afford to buy a home, a car, pay their bills, afford food, have a secure retirement, and God forbid, even achieve their dreams if they work hard. They need a prime minister who will restore that hope, and I will be that prime minister. So we, on the one hand, have liberals putting forth policies that you say your party has forced them to do. On the other, we are now hearing a conservative leader uh, talking about hope to the Canadian working class. Are you getting squeezed out here? Not at all. Look, let's look at what's going on. First of all, the liberals are only uh, delivering because we forced them. And then we've got Pierre Polyev who talks about you know, the fact that people are struggling. But then when it comes down to is opposed to putting more money in people's pockets because big banks are opposed to it and he's taking the side of big banks saying that it's wrong to put more money in people's pockets. That's what the GST rebate is. It's people's own money. They paid more GST because the cost of everything has gone up. And now we're saying let's put more of that money back into people's pockets. That's their own money. He's opposed to that. He's opposed to putting money back into people's pockets. Well, how are people going to be able to afford their groceries? or pay their bills if we don't actually do anything well, about he's it. Talking, well, he's talking about things like, for example, not bringing about an increase in the carbon tax come the new year, which would affect the pocketbooks of everyday Canadians. We're talking about putting people money back in people's pockets now. Money that is their own money. He's opposed to that. He's on the side of big banks. He's voted against raising minimum wage, which hurts workers. He's voted against making CEOs pay what they owe. So he's shown again and again that really when it comes down to it, 
he might like to talk a lot, but he doesn't want to do anything to make people's lives better because we've got in front of us three things that were going to make people's lives better that he's opposed to. He's against dental care, even though he's had free dental care paid by the public since his early 20s. He's against putting money back in people's pockets because big banks are opposed to it. And he's against giving some respect to renters that need a little extra uh, support and respect. So he's against actually getting people what he claims to want people to have. And that's a, a dilemma that he's going to have to answer. I've got 30 seconds here, but I do want to squeeze in this question to uh, Mr. Singh, because as you know, just by reading the coverage already, political observers say that this uh, commons, this house is going to be very raucous now. Do you think that's a fair assessment? How will you handle that? I think the reason why people are making that assessment, rightly so, is because we've seen in the past conservatives like to attack just for the sake of attack. They don't actually have an outcome or goal in mind because they're not actually pushing for any policy changes. And conservatives are similar to liberals in that the liberals also want to attack the conservatives just for the sake of the attack. We're focused on getting people what respect that they need, uh, responding to their needs. And that's what sets us apart. And we're hoping we can encourage the other parties to focus their attention on what people need instead of just scoring points on each other. Jagmeet Singh, thank you for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. With more on the return of Parliament, let's bring in Liberal House Leader Mark Holland. Hello, Mr. Holland. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good. Listen, I want to begin with uh, your reaction to what we just heard from the NDP leader, that essentially your government was doing nothing to address the rising cost of living until the supply and confidence agreement, which is, will result in dental care, bigger GST rebates for struggling Canadians. What do you say to that assertion? Well, I, I think the important thing is we're working together um, on priorities that are important to Canadians to make life more affordable. And, uh, and that the agreement that we have, the supply and confidence agreement, is, is working well. Um, I would obviously take umbrage with the idea that we weren't doing things prior to that. Obviously, we were. I mean, I just take as an example the, uh, the Canada Child Benefit, uh, which uh, helped lift uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, families out of poverty. Um, and uh, the action that we took on childcare agreements across the country, uh, many, many things that we did in the realm of affordability. Uh, so there's some theater in that, uh, but outside of the theater, uh, you know, this is a minority government. This is an example of a minority government working. Uh, we've been able to work with the NDP on a number of measures that are uh, really essential um, to help Canadians who are struggling to pay the bills right now. We've got a global circumstance that's very difficult. Um, uh, inflation caused by uh, coming out of COVID and the war in Ukraine. Uh, we're going to be dealing, obviously, with very serious issues with climate change. So I'm not too vexed about who tries to take credit. As a government, our priority is to get things done for Canadians uh, and find a path to do that. Well, I don't know if you would consider this theatre or not, but you, you mentioned climate change, and we've also heard from Pierre Poliev, the new Conservative leader. He's calling on your government to halt any increase on carbon and payroll taxes, really as a means of addressing the high cost of living right now. What do you say to that call from Pierre Poliev? Well, look, the reality is uh, the, uh, the, the economy and the environment go hand in hand. And I think the view that you can somehow divorce those two things uh, is, uh, is wrong-headed. Uh, the reality is, uh, yes, uh, things are challenging right now for Canadians as they're uh, trying to make ends meet. Uh, but what we've done uh, with, uh, with the price on pollution is to make it more expensive to pollute and then to give that money back to Canadians. And as the parliamentary budget officer has verified, eight in 10 Canadians are getting more money uh, than they, uh, back than they uh, pay. Uh, and, and secondarily, 
you know, we can't allow ourselves to go back into the world uh, where uh, pollution is free and where you're free to pollute. Uh, the Conservative Party uh, had been supportive in the last election of carbon pricing as the best way uh, for us to be moving forward on, on tackling the global problem of climate change. Uh, and now they've flip-flopped and they have a different position today than they had before. Uh, but, you know, their, their uh, unwillingness to acknowledge the climate crisis um, you know, is baffling. Uh, if we don't have a climate, well, we don't have an economy. Let me jump in there, though, because, you know, you, you hear it from Canadians saying they don't understand why you would tax only to send back a rebate when you compare it to what Doug Ford did in Ontario after winning the last provincial election. He did cut the provincial gas tax, and that did have an immediate impact on the amount that people were paying for gas that they use every day in their cars. Well, the, the, the idea here is that if you continue your existing behaviors, yes, you do get money back. Um, and so that you're going to get that money to come back to you. Um, but you are heavily incentivized to make choices that are more environmentally friendly. Um, and, uh, and so that's what we're trying to do is drive behavior change here and to incentivize that. Um, the reality is we can't afford pollution to be free. Uh, I just said it and it couldn't be more true and we're seeing the effects of global climate change all around us. Um, more extreme weather events, um, an enormous cost both in terms of human life and economic cost in the short term and catastrophic costs in the medium term. Uh, we have an obligation to not only future generations but frankly this generation um, to make sure that we get it right on the environment. In pretending that you can just continue going on polluting however you like with mm -hmm. no plan uh, and, and, and thinking that that has no uh, con uh, impact on the economy is foolhardy and not to mention the fact that our Quickly, global Mr. partners, Holland. yeah, well, just to finish on this, Michael, our global partners expect us to take action. And if we're going to be sitting down in trade meetings and talking about uh, future trade with other countries uh, when we're uh, neglecting our global responsibility to be part of the solution, you're, you're not going to be heard well at the table. Okay. Well, listen, let's leave it at that. You and I will speak again, most certainly for now. Thank you for that, Mark Holland. Thanks so much, Michael. For the record, we did reach out to the Conservative Party in hopes of having House Leader Andrew Scheer on the program. We are still hoping to speak with him sometime this week. In one of my last visits with her at Sandringham, we were speaking quietly after dinner. Suddenly, focusing very directly on me with her sharp blue eyes, she said, I shall never abdicate. I was rather taken aback and replied, I wouldn't have expected that you would. And she said, it is not in our tradition. Although I suppose if I became completely gaga, one would have to do something. And that was former Governor General Adrian Clarkson delivering a eulogy for Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Now, the line was this brief moment of levity during a commemoration service in Ottawa, but it also underlined the late Queen's dedication to her people, not only in the United Kingdom, but throughout her Commonwealth realms, including right here in Canada. Well, to talk about the past week and a half and the road ahead for this country and the monarchy, we're happy to welcome to the program today Bonnie Brownlee, a former royal advisor. She is now amongst this country's best-known royal commentators. Bonnie, nice to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us today. 
Oh, thank you for having me and congratulations to you, Michael. Thank you. Uh, if you don't mind, I, I actually want to begin here with the personal because you really have this vantage point that few Canadians have. You have served as a royal advisor. You've worked uh, in Buckingham Palace. How did it make you feel then to see the many tributes to Her Late Majesty, to see the outpouring of love, not only in the United Kingdom, but here in Canada as well? Well, like a lot of people, uh, Michael, I've been somewhat overwhelmed by what's going on here in London and the amount of people that have come in to the city. But the other side of me that has uh, an idea of what it's been like for the royal family, uh, I've been impressed with the choreography of everything that we have seen. I mean, it's the Queen, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth knew what she was doing, preparing her family and pre preparing her country and the monarchy and the world for her death. So what we have seen has been extraordinary in terms of the pomp and pageantry, but also the politics of it all, because it, they may be the monarchy and not allowed to say too much in public, but believe me, there's a lot of uh, politics behind this, uh, just in terms of messaging and branding and how the royal family has put themselves out front for the past 12 days put themselves out front and really that's in keeping with what we saw with uh, Queen Elizabeth because she did for example visit this country more than any of her Commonwealth realms what was it about Canada uh, do you think that led her to call this country her, her second home and I also wonder with King Charles now will Canada still hold a special place well, you know, Queen Victoria loved Canada as well. So the Queen felt this way, just as her own father did. And she could relate to Canada, the parliamentary system. Um, and she also thought that Canada was a progressive country uh, over the last 70 years. And it, she saw a lot of changes and she sort of welcomed uh, the advice that she took from people, Canadians, that she had many friends, uh, including a couple of our former prime ministers. So there was always this, she was drawn to Canada because of all the countries in the Commonwealth, she actually thought it was a model uh, of a country that the rest of the world could take some lessons from as well. Mm -hmm. and, and yet, despite this love and this admiration from the Queen, there was, as you know, a poll that just came out a few days ago, it was from Ipsos, and it says that 60% of Canadians actually want a referendum on the monarchy, essentially questioning whether this country should continue its ties with the crown. What do you make of that? Well, King Charles has a lot of work to do. And we know that there have been issues about the monarchy and the Commonwealth for, you know, since Confederation in this country as well. So he's got to develop some kind of a new narrative for full conversations uh, with the countries of the Commonwealth. Canada will be a leader in that about, do we reframe it? Do, you know, what do we do with this institution called the Commonwealth? It does a lot of good work around the world, but there are a lot of issues, as you know, uh, about racism and slave trade, you know, that has to be dealt with. And if there's one thing that Charles knows, he knows that he's got to uh, get down to work. Mm -hmm. And how prepared is he for that, do you think? As you say, this conversation has been long-standing, but it seems to reach, be reaching this point where not only Canada, but countries like Australia, New Zealand are having the conversation, as you know, very much a hot-button issue in the Caribbean countries as well. 
he he would have been having lots of conversations with his mother over the past few years about this as in preparation for the transition for him to become king and part of her funeral the whole idea of it was to remind the world uh, about the monarchy we've had the biggest global history le lesson over the past 12 days uh, just in terms of recognition of military and armed forces like that part has been overwhelming you know, politically, he need, his first 100 days will be critically important to him. He needs to prepare uh, himself. He needs to surround himself with really good advisors and strong people. And he will rely heavily on um, the Prince of Wales just because of his, you know, attraction to a younger crowd and his capabilities and understandings of social media. Uh, so... I think we will start to see more of the tone and how this king will be a monarch uh, within the first three or four months of his reign. Bonnie, always great to speak with you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Let's get back to this first day of the parliamentary fall session and to talk about the return of parliament. We are joined today by liberal commentator Greg McEckern. Tim Powers is a conservative commentator. And for the NDP, it is commentator Kim Wright. Hello to the three of you. Hello. Hello. Uh, so here we have it today, Pierre Polyev's debut as opposition leader. Uh, he continued to hammer the government on high interest rates, on taxes. Greg, I'm wondering, as you keep hearing from the, the new opposition leader, the new conservative leader, are you worried, are liberals worried that they are vulnerable on these fronts, that his message about taxes and inflation is getting traction? I think what liberals are worried about or what they believe they're vulnerable about is the fact that they're in their third term. And, you know, eventually all voters uh, have a fatigue around governments. So the challenge for the Trudeau government is trying to appear uh, that they are still on top of issues, that they appear to be fresh. Um, I think they're trying to address that. Um, but the big shadow, uh, for lack of a better word, over things the last you know week and a half has been the passing of Queen Elizabeth. So in terms of legacy media and what legacy media is covering, we, it's mostly been about Queen Elizabeth and it's affected some of the, the agenda. I, I know that the, the Liberals uh, during, wanted to announce during uh, their cabinet meeting in Vancouver, the items that eventually got announced around dental care and helping people in terms of, of um, you know, um, home payments, things like that. So I, I think that there's a concern. They're not sure whether or not though, it's the issues that, that uh, Pierre Poliver is raising that are the ones that are resonating. No one is immune uh, to inflation in Canada. Mm -hmm. I think the government, you know, coming out of the Liberal caucus uh, out east, seem to be very clear on that. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim, what do you make of it uh, about the gov government's potential vulnerability here? Because to hear it from the Liberal side, it will be uh, the kind of programs that Greg was alluding to, things like daycare, dental care, GST rebates, rental help, that will immediately says the government help Canadians more. Well, Michael, you'll pardon my indulgence, but I got to bring in a Queen reference. I mean, the, the government is saying we are the champions for a long time, never mind Bohemian Rhapsody. And I, I think, as Greg said, they've grown a little long in the tooth. And I think you've seen some of that vulnerability expose itself this summer. And you've heard Polyev talk about this, whether it be the management of passport offices, the state of airports arrive can't. But specifically on inflation, look, some of the measures they've introduced are good. I, I, I don't take that away from them. The problem with them is they aren't immediate. So they talk about dental care, and, and that's a, that could be a very helpful program for a lot of people. 
but that's not going to happen today. So there are going to be a number of months because they have to pass legislation before that becomes a reality. GST rebates aren't going to happen today. They will happen hopefully at the next pay period, which is I believe a month and a bit away, I think for most Canadians. So again, today, if you need money, you're not helped. Daycare, yes, again, a, a good investment, but not uh, not something that everybody's gonna benefit from. What the Liberals seem to be doing, some very targeted, looks like very politically targeted programs to help people. Not everybody is benefiting from what the Liberals have announced. That creates a vulnerability for them with the Conservatives and the public. Now, interestingly, the Prime Minister is not in Ottawa today. He is, in fact, in New York. Uh, if Conservatives and New Democrats, and we did hear Jagmeet Singh uh, taking a swipe at uh, the federal Liberals, if Conservatives and New Democrats are making the argument that the Prime Minister is not concerned enough with the plight of working Canadians, is there anything to read into his absence, Kim? Does that make him vulnerable in any way? No, I don't think his absence in the House uh, is the problem here. And, and quite rightly, you know, everyone's schedule was thrown into a bit of a tizzy uh, because of the passing of Her Majesty. So he probably would have been in the House yesterday, but just not, in, not today. That's okay. The reality is, and, and what we were talking about, the things that he's announcing, that the government is announcing, are the dental care uh, programs, some of the daycare initiatives, certainly the renter support uh, measures. All of those are because of the confidence and supply motion with the New Democrats and Jagmeet Singh, very clearly saying it's put up or shut up time for the prime minister and the government. Either we have these things on the books passed by the end of the year, or this deal is done. And that's why we're seeing the movement on it. That's why we're seeing the introduction. And let's just be clear, when the government wants to do something that will help workers, that will help Canadians, Jagmeet Singh and the New Democrats are here for it. If they want to just showboat and you know sing show tunes, well, we're not so much there for it. So that's where we want to see things. We want to see them put the legislative money where their mouth is. This is why we have a minority parliament. Canadians sent uh, parliamentarians back again with a minority parliament to get things done to help with the needs of Canadians and especially going into tougher economic times. We need to make sure that the supports that Canadians rely on, including we'll have to see what happens with health transfers, that those measures are in place to help Canadians, not more, you know, big tax breaks and big tax cuts. The reality is we want to see those tangible measures on the ground to help Canadians and they will help Canadians. I know that there are a lot of people watching this program who might have a dental program or maybe have a pharmacare program through their through their employers, but a lot of Canadians don't. Certainly entrepreneurs don't. Certainly small business folks often don't, but also a lot of people who are like my mom was, a single mom who was raising three kids and trying to do all of that on very limited means. So these will matter to Canadians. They don't always get the attention of parliamentarians, but Darn it, they're, they're super important, and I'm glad Jagmeet Singh and the Democrats have pushed for this. Okay, so those are some of the issues that we'll be, be looking towards, not only uh, uh, dental care as well as the supports like a GST rebate, but also continuing to watch uh, Polyev and the Conservatives make the argument around uh, things like the, the carbon tax. But this is expected to be a fairly raucous house with both Trudeau and Polyev in there. I'm wondering... If the three of you think that is a fair expectation, what will the three of you be looking for? Let's take this one by one. Tim, what are you going to be watching for now that the fall session's underway? Yeah, I think there will be raucous competition. Look, both Pierre Polyev and Justin Trudeau are competitors. Both Pierre Polyev and Justin Trudeau, I don't think, have a great lot of uh, uh, appreciation of each other, to be polite. 
Um, and I think they both believe the stakes are high, and they are for Canadians, but they're also high for them politically. So you're creating a hothouse environment uh, where they are going to be combative, and they're both going to be in a place, with the NDP trying to do this as well with respect to Mr. Singh, of defining where they fit. Um, Polyev probably is the Conservatives' best chance for a firmer definition of where they fit um, since Stephen Harper has been leader of the Conservative Party. So, yeah, I don't think, uh, Michael, they will be singing around a piano together. Uh, and I think all of the wonderful <laughs> things we've seen about decency and, and statesmanship uh, coming through the morning of the Queen are going to last very long in this parliament. Yeah, you're loving that comparison, Tim. Uh, Greg, very quickly, 30 seconds to you. What are you watching out for? Do you think it will be a raucous house? I'm watching for more music puns. Have we completed them, please? Um, I, the thing that I'm watching for is whether or not Polliver will continue to try uh, to bait the media into reacting so that they can then make um, mainstream media, legacy media, the enemy. I don't think it worked with David Aiken last week as well as they thought it was going to. It ended up being very messy. What I want to see from the Liberals is some different sounding messaging from the Prime Minister, the Deputy Prime Minister. Um, we talked a lot about this during the, during the summer, my friends and I, about why did Doug Ford's messaging break through? It's clear, concise messaging. And I think that's what uh, the Liberals need to start doing. Okay, Kim, last word to you, 30 seconds. I want to see if Mr. Poliev can well stop acting like a snowflake when anybody has the temerity to question him, whether it's media or parliamentarians or anyone else in his party. Uh, that's going to be the, really the challenge. How does he manage that caucus? How does he manage those relationships? Because he has to not only maintain those 400,000 new members he signed up in the conservative leadership race, but now he's got to govern his own party. What are those candidates going to be looking like? What is the opposition going to dig up on various candidates? How is that going to unfold? Uh, how does he manage that caucus? We saw last week uh, MP Alain Reyes uh, pieced out of uh, the conservative land to go sit as an independent. And then the conservative party put out an automated uh, message about that. So we'll see. And then had to quickly reverse track. So how does he play into this? For the rest of them, it's opposition politics. It's a government. It's a minority parliament. They have to get their swipes in. That's not raucous. That's just how we roll. Okay. Well, we'll be here for both the rock and raucous and the rolling. So uh, thank you to the three of you. Nice to start off uh, my first program this way. I'll speak to you again. Our thanks to Greg and to Tim and to Kim. Thank you. As we say goodbye, a special moment to share with you. House Speaker Anthony Rota today recognizing CPAC's 30th anniversary and acknowledging its many contributions to Canadian democracy and public life. CPAC's president and its board of directors were there. I'm Michael Serapio. Thank you for watching.